Hello. Hello. How is everybody? Tired. We're very tired. <laughs> uh, I drove up to um, England today, so I'm quite tired as well. Are you? How was your holiday? Terrible. Oh, I, I uh, thought the ducks were cute. The ducks were cute, but most of the kids took turns at vomiting all weekend, so oh, no. not fun. Um, we had vomit through the night, Saturday night, and then Sunday night, we'd vomit through the night, and then Melody, because she vomited over her bed, we had to bring in an airs. So every half hour when we had a cough, we were jumping, jumping up with a pot for the kitchen and holding it in case she was sick again. Oh no. Oh. What was that? English water? It's because they've got sewage That's in what it was. That's what it was. That's terrible. So oh, she, was, she wasn't sick again, but we did find out in the morning she had shat her bed. Oh. So, <laughs> that was a nice surprise to wake up to. It's a nice skin therapy. This is Heidi. And she's already been trying to bite the mic and eat the wire and everything. So that's her. In case you hear her in the podcast. Hi, Heidi. The kids are off school. Oh, (laughs) what are they doing? Tyler's yelling at the kids to. Was that him yelling? That was very nice. Yeah, he doesn't yell. Yeah. Well, how long was your drive, David? Uh, well, the first 160 miles were, we ended up managed to do in about two hours, and then we were another hour and a half, the last 20 miles, because of the road work. So just when we were recognising landmarks and feel home, we grew into a hall. It was frustrating. So where did you go? Sorry. I'm um, just... Ribby Hall, it's uh, northern England near Blackpool. Hmm. My, my wife spoke about it for years. She was very excited about it, but it's basically... A caravan park without caravans. I don't really so see what, what the. What have they got instead of the caravans? Like beef, pussies, chalets. Oh, that sounds nice. Uh, I'm not going to be able to keep her in here while we record, um, because she's just going to yap yap yap. <laughs> well, you're the editor, so <laughs> it's, she's only game work for you. Okay. I'm just, are you like me when your vacations are over? It's not like, I feel like I need a vacation afterwards because the kids yeah, just wear me out. <laughs> absolutely. I used to love going on holiday and planning holidays. And then it's, I just could take no joy in the planning of the. Sometimes you've fun on the holiday, but at the same time, you're always thinking about the hassle of traveling back. So it's like, mm-hmm. it takes all the, the joy out of it for me. Yeah, I mean, because Carmen's eight now, it's a little bit easier to just, but then I was like, how much longer do we have until like, they don't get the same joy out of stuff? You know, like, they won't yeah. be little kids anymore. They're rolling their oh. eyes when you're all excited about something and they're like, over Yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, we've been talking about going back to Sicily and like, ah, oh, this winter, like, stuff's going to be so expensive, but our friend lives there, so it's pretty cheap for us it's just the plane tickets and I was like yeah maybe we do need to go this year before they're like puberty hits and they're unimpressed with everything <laughs> yeah well Matthew's still only one so we're still buggies and things like that nappy bags oh my God. I'm tired just hearing it yeah and usually my mum's with us as well so we'll get her wheelchair and stuff so it's just it's a military operation oh I have a story about we because we were in Sterling on Friday night. Tyler had a meeting and they paid for a hotel room for all of us. 
some university thing. Um, so on Friday night, he was still out with everybody. And I like called the place on the street. I'm like, oh, do you have a table still open? Because the hotel's expensive. So there I am at a pub with the kids. And I was like, well, maybe we should all like sit on the one side because like it was getting busy. And Eli, who's 11, was like, well, okay, okay, that's fine. If you sit over there, I just want to sit here and make fun of Liz Truss. And he was like kicking back with a pint of Iron Brew. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Good boy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. And it was nice, nice to you smile. In a dream, cause you'll never die. The stars will never overtake. Welcome to Holyrood on Gag, the Robbie Coltrane of Political Podcast. Season 4, Episode 2, I am your host, David McLennan, broadcasting from the Blantyre Free State. And joining me this evening is my eternal comrade, Mulgai's digital Michelangelo, it's Deborah Torrance. Deborah, welcome. Good to have you back. Hello. You may have noticed we didn't have an episode last week. Um, that was because one, Alan Grogan at Postpone had to withdraw and... Then Deborah had a mishap, which meant we couldn't do it. We had a wee fall at the SNP conference, and as what dispelled rumours, it was because she was trying to match um, Nicholas Sturgeon tequila shot to tequila shot. It was a, just a complete accident. It was completely unrelated, um, and it was actually Zambuka. And the, the third third member of this evening's triumvirate is the co-convener of the SNP Socialist. She's a Republican, but only on this side of the Atlantic. It's Kat Carey. Hello. Thanks for you're having st- me. You are still co-convener, aren't you? I am. I'm right, newly the co-convener. I was the National Secretary last year. I thought that just when I was trying to check it. I don't think it was updated on your website, so you might have to have a word with somebody about that. I'm not sure that website's been updated in, <laughs> in quite some time. We're working on it, though. We're so busy. We're so busy with other things. Don't have time for website and such. Well, that I think we should. Well, let's get on gang. And you know, Denoe, how he's doing. Spew. We, just, we, I'm, we, I'm happy. We, we I'm just done, saying, we, we you keep changing it. up the format. We kind of done it because we were recording when we came in. So. Aye, but I'm not chopping and cut, changing that shit. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not making it hard <laughs> for me. It'll, it'll, it'll sound I'm keeping all this in so people know how hard well, this is with this job. It'll it's like sound, an outtake. Yes. It'll sound fake. You're trying to react as if you don't know that my Wayne shat the bed and all of it. It's all about being natural. You see, Deborah, this is what makes podcasts work. It's 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 real. It's real. <laughs> None of this overproduced stage stuff that you're trying to come up with here. Just a general guide. That was all I was going for. <laughs> a bit of cohesion. But all right, let's keep it chaotic. I like it. Well, if you look You guys are so work married. You know what I mean? Like you're like <laughs> podcast husband and wife. <laughs> Despite having never actually met in real life. Still. I know. 
First up, the Prime Minister is fighting for her political survival after ditching a major chunk of the mini-budget and sacking her Chancellor and close ally, Fozzie Quartang. She replaced her great friend, Mr Quartang, with former Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt, who had backed her rival Rishi Sunak in the Tory leadership contest. While his appointment was welcomed by some Tory MPs as an experienced pair of hands, other questioned why Mr Quartang was the one who had to go when he was pursuing policies mistrust espoused in the leadership campaign. So, do you think Liz Truss's days are PM are numbered already, Deborah? I'm starting to believe rumours that she might be some sort of Westworld android. Like, <laughs> I just, she's, I, I thought maybe she was just totally incompetent, but she had something behind the dull eyes and I, I really I think I just gave her too much credit for being an empty vacuous being like she's so she's where she wasn't there the day was she when Jeremy Cunt uh, Hunt uh, was <laughs> I don't even why am I correcting it Jeremy Cunty um he was he no the health secretary when 2012 to 2018 when they brought in the whole let's start chopping this up privatizing it all i mean if he's the chancellor the new chancellor is he going to do the same have we got another 12 years of austerity to face i'm just i'm so utterly deflated by everything and yes i do think trust is on the way out but i don't think she's appointed I was going to say cunty face, but it's a bit much. Um, <laughs> I don't think she personally has wanted to appoint Jeremy Hunt. So who's who's directing this cabal in power? Like who who who's making these decisions? Because do you honestly think that she wanted him as chancellor? No, I mean at the moment, like Jeremy Hunt is what passes as a moderate and. Today's Tory party. Um, what you said when he was health secretary, he was seen as, you know, one of the kind of right wing outlier loon balls. And the Tory party has became so extreme in the kind of subsequent years that he now looks, you know, normal and competent. Um, I don't know how he can be seen as competent though, because the cuts he made. And the selling off small chunks of services of the NHS totally was shown up by the pandemic. And it was shown, look at all these failings because of all these cuts we've had for all these years. So, and I think it was junior doctors who were giving him a really hard time when he was the health secretary. Are the bankers going to be giving him a hard time as chancellor? Well, I mean, I have an answer to, to why he's seen as sensible as one, how bad things have gotten that this is our voice of sanity, this. And the other one is that he's a man and they're always going to find a white man more sensible than a woman. You know, even if it's true, just you automatically start with a little bit more public goodwill, I think. I feel attacked. Anyway, <laughs> I think I've actually got quite a good um, comparison here. And you might not get it because you're not a football fan or a soccer fan. I don't know if you like soccer or football cap. But when you've got a player who's been playing terrible and then he gets injured, and while he's out injured or sitting on the bench because he's out of favour, if the team is playing awful, every game they lose, that guy that's not playing suddenly becomes a better player. And everybody forgets how bad they were because they're not in the field showing it. 
And that's exactly what's happening with Jeremy Hunt. He's been on the bench for so long and the team and his team's doing so bad that every disaster it moves him away, further away from it, and people forget how bad he was when he was I think he was the education secretary at one point as well when he was hating. Um, I mean, I think your your comparison is spot on for one thing. And and my second point is I'm not sure that's football specific. <laughs> I think that's any sport. Is that a rugby he thing was, as well, Deborah? Yeah, no, it makes sense what you're saying. He, he was also um, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Secretary of State for Foreign Commonwealth and Development for 2018 to 2019. Is that right? You get such an encyclopedic recall of these things, Deborah. I don't know. I've got, got her phone Wikipedia. Out. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question, like a, hi, I'm a foreigner. I have a question. Um from my understanding, the, the prime minister and the chancellor are supposed to have like slightly different um, ideologies or like philosophies, right? So isn't Jeremy Hunt a better fit with her? Because quasi-courting was just the same, right? And that's what was so bad about it. I think Jeremy Hunt's pretty right wing. Like he's all about privatization and maximizing profit. And I bet he came up with this uh, anti-growth commission or whatever the fuck it's called you know we're all meant to be part of this anti-growth coalition is that not what you called us everybody who doesn't believe or was that yeah am i getting I, confused i think quasi quartang's now a part of that that's why he was sacked because he's now a part of that basically everybody that isn't less trust is part of this coalition now. yeah <laughs> but i think that it, that phrase came about with Jeremy Hunt and it sort of fits what he done in my opinion eh, the NHS in England like just getting rid of in-house just things off the top of my head catering like they now get the meals sent in and it's the staff in the hospital just heat it up mm-hmm. so it's not like it's it's a business that's providing a service which is really important you know just if it's nutritional or whatever and that affects patients directly I just I don't think I don't is nothing as exciting about the current cabinet in fact it's terrifying mostly everything is terrifying yeah to, to kind of pick up what you said Kat about you know the way you know as the chancellor and the prime minister supposed to be sort of different I mean a lot of the kind of the problems we don't have a proper constitution and things in Britain like we have all these conventions that just get thrown away and nobody really notices for a long time. I mean the Prime Minister used to be the first among equals within the cabinet um, but certainly in the last probably since Thatcher's time um, it's became much more like the Prime Minister more like a president and all but name like they're the front man completely uh, head and shoulders in charge above everybody else and I think I think during the Blair years when um, he had a very strong chancellor with Gordon Brown, it had a kind of different power base, but I don't think Liz Truss is interested in that. She just wanted somebody that would, you know, that agreed with her and would charge down the same dead ends economically that she was interested in. So, I mean, that's a, it's hard to say Jeremy Hunt getting appointed to a powerful job is a good thing, but in current circumstances, you know, it kind of is. I feel so wrong to even be saying that, but that's where we are. I think if you break down the cabinet for 
like each person that's been in their different roles, it gets worse and worse. And I don't, I don't think Jeremy Hunt is bucking that trend of <laughs> getting worse and worse. It's like for me, a last ditch desperation of, and I, I don't honestly think Truss is running the show. I think she is a Westworld android that's been programmed from some dingy, damp Whitehall backroom. I, I, did, I did like the tweet I saw. Um, do you remember Quantum Leap? Yeah. It was showed you yes. a Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap, and then it was as if Sam had jumped into Liz Trussie's body when she was just standing in front of the podium going, um, uh, <laughs> I'm just waiting, I was just waiting, not going, oh boy. I mean, the, I mean, there's rumours that letters are no confidence are already flying into the 1922 committee, but it just seems so close to a general election to be doing that. And, do you, think, do you think we're going to see another prime minister before the next general election? I mean, would they want to fight a general election with her as leader? That's the question. That is very true. Good question. <laughs> I mean, I already... guess it depends if they're going to expect to lose or win. Because if they're going to expect to lose, they'll keep her to blame her and toss her aside. If they think they're going to do better, they'll probably put somebody else in there. That's it. I mean, if I mean, is somebody like Rishi Sunak going to want the job at this? At this stage, or would he rather pick it up in the other side of the general election? Oh, I thought it was going to be Boris Johnson again. Ugh. That seems to have died down. I've not heard anybody mention that for a while. Um, Hallelujah. But that may be, <laughs> maybe that's why he's not moved out of the checkers, I think. Maybe he's thinking there's no point because he'll be heading back soon. Deborah, I thought you were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, yeah, what about Boris? <laughs> How bad does it need to be before Boris seems like a reasonable solution? I mean, he doesn't. Come on. He can't be our solution. <laughs> I mean, look at Liz Truss in the first, what, 30 days? She's almost destroyed the entire economy. I mean, it's hard not to argue she's in worse than Boris is. Boris at least just sat no doing anything and, you know, fell in his own pockets. You know, as bad, mean... bad as that is, you know... It didn't cause any pension funds to almost go bust upon a Don't you think he kind of led into this now, though? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely he, definitely, he definitely built it up. But just the ongoing instability surrounding this cabinet is really worrisome. Like, they've, they've, what is it the, the new announcements were today? That the energy cost savings are, aren't going to go for two years, they're just going to run out in April. So they literally have just, they're just like sort of clinging on and they're trying to keep the markets happy, trying to keep their donors happy and don't give a fuck about the rest is. So um, I, I'm sorry I'm so pessimistic, it's not yeah. like me. <laughs> that was quite cheerful, Deborah, thanks. <laughs> I'm just back my holidays as well. Just back my holidays as if I'm not depressed enough. Then I get to talk to Deborah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to talking about the next topic then. I was going to say a bit more cheerful. I don't know if this counts as cheerful, but the Scottish Greens have suspended ties with the Green Party of England and Wales after members raised concerns about transphobia. A motion to suspend the formal association was passed at the Scottish Green Conference in Dundee with his suspension taking immediate effect. Members stated that the office bearers of the Green Party of England Wales had engaged in transphobic rhetoric and conduct and claimed that the independence of the Scottish Greens had been ignored. Kat, what was your thoughts on this? 
I was, I was watching for this vote, wondering what was going to happen. You know, I was, I think that it was a deputy leadership contest. This, this resolution was brought up when they were at the hustings and, you know, I saw clips of those. I didn't know if just having it there would have had enough effect that that would have been it, but I was blown away that it was passed almost unanimously or, you know, with a claim. Um, it seems very well measured and well written that it's a suspension of ties until they fix themselves. I think it was very cleverly written. And, you know, I wish we could do that S and P somehow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was pleased to hear this, uh, not just about the transphobia, but also which is really important, by the way, and I'm really pleased that the Greens are taking a stance on it. And Kat's right, I wish SNP could be a bit more stringent in their anti-transphobic uh, rules and stuff, I don't know. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. I was mm-hmm. pleased because part of the reason I'm, like, I'm a sort of natural Green voter, because I'm big hug a tree clap a dug, etc. Uh, <laughs> love the bugs. Um, and I I could never settle with the fact they had a peer in Jenny Jones in the House of Lords. Really pissed me off because she didn't use her vote. Like they said, oh, we're there to make change from within. And she didn't use her vote to veto fracking when it first came before Parliament. And I challenged her on it. She said, oh, we just didn't have time. And I'm like, well, what's the fucking point of you being... In the House of Lords. So I was annoyed with that. Uh, and obviously the transphobia is not nice. I'm not saying that I'm going to ditch the SNP and go join the Greens now. But I'm pleased to see them taking a firm stand. Well done. We round of applause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've never been a huge fan of the Green Party of England. Like, like you said, the fact that they have members in the House of Lords just doesn't sit right with a party that's supposed to be radical. But I thought they were more posh than radical, personally, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, sort of. England particularly has a history of posh radical, but radical up to a point, usually. Yeah, the motion was not just about, I mean, it was it was about transphobia, but it was also, like, there was technical things going on related to that, like the Green Party in England, Wales, someone put a motion to their conference about banning trans-affirming healthcare, but it was... In principle, that that's obviously a bad thing, but it was also for across the UK, which meant it was making policy for Scotland, and it didn't pass, but it was deemed to be a competent motion. So they were sort of defining that they had the right to pass motions that would affect Scotland, even though they're only the Green Party of England and Wales. They're not a, it's a very different relationship. It's not like the Scottish Labour Party or the, the Scottish Tories that are just an offshoot of a UK uh, branch, you know, we are a separate party that has, you know, formally, um, you sort of sisterly relations with. Sisterly relations, does it sound right? Oh, I'm, not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that again. Fraternal. So it does feel as if the GPEW has a bit of a, is imperialist too strong a word, but certainly a kind of, you know, England as Britain attitude about them to some things. And it just came out in this quite transphobic sense. So I don't really think that they're going to make the changes that will allow the relations to be reform- reformed. But 
I'm actually not that bothered if we do either because I've never really considered myself to be like if I moved to England, I, I don't think I would have joined Green Party England as well. And I'd probably, I'd probably look at joining another party if that's what I want to do, even though I'm a member of the Greens of Scotland. Yeah, I don't know if my perception of the Green Party in England and Wales is right, but I always found the membership a bit more middle class. Like, just, just I, I think like, totally. Quite, I think that is quite a common perception. It's, is that a misconception? No, I wouldn't say so. Like, but then my perception might not be right either. You know, I've not been any in party in England and Wales. Uh, my only thing about this is, you know, I wonder how they'll re- react uh, to this move. You know, I, I would hope that the, the progressive forces within the Green Party of England and Wales, I keep giving them a full title. I don't, I don't even like the fact that they just refer to themselves as the Green Party, as if they're the originals. Maybe they'll go full yeah. colonial. Well, just come storming I would, up here. <laughs> I would hope that the progressive sort of forces use this, you know, as motivation to say, look what damage we're doing to the wider green movement. Like we need to deal with that, these issues. But at the same time, you know, I wonder if they'll be spiteful. Like, in, if we might see the Green Party registered on lists in the next holiday election. And I, oh. I wonder as well if anything the Scottish Greens has actually thought about that. Maybe it was mentioned at the debate um, at the weekend. I wasn't there, but it's something to think I about. Mean, I I kind of think that the Scottish Greens are seen as the more successful of the two parties. You know, they're in government by agreement and have had sustained electoral success. So I I don't really know how the Green Party of England and Wales could spin that in a way that wouldn't make them look horrible, especially because it was so overwhelmingly passed. You know what I mean? Like, there's no. There's no wedge to pick off there. Yeah. There's my... also, there's clearly though a tendency within the Green Party of England and Wales to, that don't mind looking horrible because, you know, they'll get spokespeople appearing at, um, you know, transphobic conferences and speaking and pushing clear, like, transphobic motions at conference. So it really depends what, how strong that tendency is you know, within the, the part, that party. I think a wee bit of cognitive bias probably comes into play as well with it, just because our whole setup in the UK, everything that is UK-ish gets the title. Like, you don't say the, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, like the Scottish National Youth Theatre, you don't have to say, you know, the United Kingdom National Orchestra, for example, like it's it's preface like language is a lot to do with it. the fact you're talking about registering just the green party to a lot of folk in the green party of england and wales that is their right mm-hmm. because it's the the you know the national green party yeah, i'm pr- probably not explaining this very well but just through linguistic uh like the way we use language all the time like Kat, this might seem strange to you because in America you have maybe state organisations and then you have the American version of that organisation, yeah? So you have like the regional and then the national. Yeah, but that's set up differently anyways because America is set up to not be like the UK. So to me, what you're saying makes sense because if you say labour, you mean UK labour. If you say Mm -hmm. Scottish labour, you mean Scottish labour. Yeah, 
So like the so, whole, like the norm or like the all things considered is the UK standard. Yeah. I'm glad that made sense. And I wasn't just talking nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about as well. Because, yeah, like, you see it a lot in sport. Like, you know, the, the Scottish, F, the SFA is the Scottish Football Association. Every other country in the world is the initial FA. But in England, it's just the Football Association. Yeah. You know, and, and it, that goes through lots of other things, like rugby as well. Yeah. You know, the Scottish Rugby Union. But it's just the... RFU is it? Rugby Football Union in England? So. David, I feel like we're trying to reach out to a wider audience of sports fans or something. <laughs> I know. David, David I'm loves always trying sports. to cram it in. He's getting sports fans. <laughs> well, to be honest, it's mostly just football. Deborah, you're more into rugby than I am. Yeah, I like rugby, but it's I try not to talk sports. about it on the political <laughs> podcast. <laughs> football and politics. That's all. Wires in the yellow. <laughs> If any listeners are reading that uh, is better at English than me and you want to tell us what that's actually called, because uh, I don't think cognitive bias is the right terminology, is it? Like path dependency. No, that's not quite right that's, either. That's mm. a good one. So get in touch with us. Informers. <laughs> yeah. Tweet something useful. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures. From snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles, Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one in group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Holyrood Unguide 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. Okay, welcome back. More than 330,000 excess deaths in Great Britain in recent years can be attributed to spending cuts to public services and benefits introduced by the UK government for doing austerity policies, according to an academic study. The authors of the study suggest additional deaths between 2012 and 2019 prior to the COVID pandemic reflect an increase in people dying prematurely after experiencing reduced income, ill health, poor nutrition and housing. Previously improving mortality trends started to change for the worse after austerity policies were introduced in 2010, when billions of pounds began to be cut from public spending by the Tory-led coalition government. Deborah. I am absolutely disgusted by the thought of continued austerity as somebody on benefits. Uh, it is really quite hard. If I didn't have a part-time job, uh, which I've already maxed out uh, how much I'm allowed to earn, by the way, um, and my physical capabilities in nine and a half hours, under the new Tory proposals, uh, I'm going to have to get another job. I'm going to have to get a better paid job. I don't know how to do that. Any use in uh, NFTs or that? Uh, Bitcoin? Is that any that good? <laughs> Just say no, Deborah. Just, Just say, say no. no. Don't click a links. 
Um, I'm just just because we're a podcast doesn't mean mean we're an NFT. No, we're not. Um, being unemployed for ten years and not being able to get a job because I'm disabled, I can't explain to you how frustrating it was to see my friends getting wages increase, even very small because a lot of them work in public sector. They were having more money, more disposable income, and I wasn't. And then we all got fucked, so nobody's getting any money, and. They're getting a wee, maybe a wee bung, and I'm just still like right down here. And there's no scope for me to make more earnings. So when you sit and you listen to these Tory arseholes telling people how they can save money, how they can earn more money, how they can Jacob Reese bog and his what's his stupid what did I just call him bog? Jacob Reese Mogg. <laughs> Jacob Reese Mogg and his stupid lower your boiler flow. Did you hear that one? Save yourself 50p a month. A fucking lot of shite, man. Would you would you take boiler repair advice off that guy? Honestly. I mean maybe... never take boiler re- repair advice from a man <laughs> in a top hat. Exactly. <laughs> just like my granny used to say. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he'd probably tell you, you know, you can get these things where you put coal into it and close it, put it in your bottom of your bed, keep your bed warm, but be careful you don't set your bed sheets on fire with the embers. Like, it's just, I, I, I don't really know what to say because I'm no uh, fancy economic person or <laughs> anything like that, but I just feel that poor people are still going to continue to bear the brunt eh, all these decisions no matter what u-turns they make no matter what changes they make oh d- cancel that 45p you know cancel the cancellation of the 45p top rate attacks do we even know what's happening there anymore have they have they updated that i feel I sorry for hmrc that, a wee bit what, what, what there, I heard staff. Was I heard was so they've done away with the, the top rate attacks no, no, they've, they've, done away they've, canceled with the, done away. they've canceled the abortion. It's no confusing at all. Thanks. Just rebranding it, probably. Well, I have to say that when I heard the person saying, you know, just get another job, work more hours, like, I get immigrants can't work, can't find work very easily. We can't get jobs easily. Disabled immigrants have a hard time. Or, you know, what about all the, the people who want, like, human beings want to work human beings don't want to not work it it gives us purpose it keeps our mental health up like this is if you're not working you have to do other things to adjust for it to keep your brain intact basically human beings need struggle so this is just austerity and cutting public services never ever works it just doesn't especially not during a cost of living crisis that has been exacerbated and if not created by profiteering by humongous capitalist evil corporations conglomerates something evil Ugh. yeah i mean like when they said that about advising people to get a better job as if as if people were all sitting going that is a great idea i'm so glad they suggested that because that would never have come to me to try and get a better job than what I've got. Because if that's not most people's default, I mean... It's- I-, I want to say as well that <clears throat> I don't think it's important to work, like, to earn. I don't think that's a big, important thing for humans. But we're sort of conditioned to it since the industrial 
revolution. Um, but I do think what you said, Kat, is important. That it is, you've got to keep your mind busy, busy, and there is other things other than you know this unemployment. Maybe that's what I don't I, like. I'm no one of the. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm on. I think we're on the same wavelength as it's that our brains and the way that we're designed is there needs to be something occupying us. There needs to be goals, small and large. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Tories quantification, is that a word? Quantification? The the way the Tories see the world of, you know, productivity and money and that's no, it's important. That's what's wrong with the world. If, if something's not making money, they, they just don't see a purpose in it. They don't see a value in it. Reading this, it's a bit of, it feels like a bit of a throwback. There's so much has went on in the last few years with the you know revolving door with prime ministers, you know the pandemic, which feels as if it's like that's a dividing line. Sometimes we don't really look past that anymore. But three hundred thirty thousand people dead because of government policy, and it was the, the coalition government, the government that's seen as like as being a kind of centrist, competent government compared to the the ones who've been subjected to since. So it's like, what is it saying when the moderate, you know, sensible government was, I don't want to say perpetuate genocide, but when you, when you read 330,000 dead, you know, it seems like it's got to be mentioned. You're right. You know, it's, <laughs> it's horrific. Like, death rates that have been declining for decades suddenly went in reverse. We're talking about, like, human progress suddenly turning around and going backwards. And we've certainly seen that in the last few years, but this just shows that, you know, the seeds of that were planted way before. To me, that's what's scary because was it through negligence and ineptitude or was it planned? Like, was this a plan? Like, and then that raises the question of, as you said, genocide and fascism, let's be honest. Like, I'm, I'm, the way I've become quite immune to listening to these figures of disabled people that have died, people on benefits that have killed themselves Mm. uh, or whether it's to do with um, through direct being starving, like malnutrition or health conditionings worsening or lack of investment in public services, people not getting the care they deserve or not getting the health treatment they deserve that, I'm just scared, I'm like I just think we need independence so fast and it's not a case of all the jollies of what Scotland could be and the hope and love and butterflies of the first referendum this is about life and death 300,000 people have died because of austerity measures imposed on us by a Tory government who didn't fucking vote for so I'm sorry if I sound really quite doom and gloom and a bit this uh, is, you know, miss pessimistic, but it's serious fucking shit. It's terrifying. Uh, there was a oh. bit more of a break. Sorry, Kelly. I was just going to say what you were talking about, Deborah, I think is the one part that stood out the most to me, maybe, of the first minister's speech at the end of conference was that she was talking to someone who said, you know, is independence essential? Like you said, it's good. You say, you say it's right. You say it's fair, but is it essential? And this just goes to show how essential it is for all of us to get out of here, get out of the UK. It is absolutely essential. Like we can't wait any further. And there is a further breakdown in some of the um, numbers in terms of how many were Scotland and the rest of the UK. And 
Scotland has roughly done a bit better than the rest of the UK, which I would hope is because the Scottish government was mitigating a lot of these, you know, horrific policies that were getting uh, pushed by the Tory Liberal Democrat government at the time. But I mean, it's only it was only slowing the bleeding. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't even managing to keep the status quo. It was just you know those mitigating effects were only able to slow down the what's the word? The, I don't know what the word is for it. Um, Absolute destruction of what was once a great and proud British nation. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that was far. It yeah. I don't know. I was being very facetious and rolling my R's. <laughs> uh, the only greatness in it was the name. Exactly. A scunnering man. See, just talking about this. Usually when we podcast, it's very cathartic and you get to slag the Tories and shout about whatever. But this is a seriously hard-hitting <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, we see maybe we made a them, which may be them. Related to, we picked interesting times to start a political podcast. That's all I'm saying. You know, we could have started this in 1997. It would all be sunshine and rainbows, um, <laughs> but that didn't last either, did it? And that's the thing. Well, we'll probably end up with another Blairite style Labour government that will give us a a respite, but very little else. I would think. I mean, that's putting. A lot of hope on the shoulders of Sir Keir Stammer. Like, do you honestly think that folk are going to vote for that? I, I think people vote to get rid of the Tories because they're imploding. And we have a electoral system that gives them very other op- pretty much no other option. Another reason why independence is essential. Exactly. You guess yet? Let's yeah. move on to the final topic where we'll still get the vote keep going because this is not going to be anything of cheerful. <clears throat> New Home Secretary Suella Braverman has hardened the Tories' rhetoric over immigration, intensifying the government's hostile environment against migrants and refugees. In a Tory conference speech littered with references to criminal gangs, illegal immigrants and cultural tensions, Braverman com- committed to imposing an outright ban on anyone entering the country via routes not explicitly sanctioned by the government. The response from Labour Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves was to criticise the government saying that illegal immigration had been on the increase while Conservatives have been in government and caused a lack of deportations, 12 years of Tory failure. Kat, as an immigrant, how does it feel to hear both parties putting the boot in? I mean, I'd like to tell you I was surprised, but I wasn't at all. Like, I'm just not surprised. Just, I think most countries nowadays there's all this increased bordering where it doesn't matter where the party sits on the ideological spectrum like Denmark has a left-wing super anti-immigrant party um that that I think they're the majority party I'm I don't know anything about Danish politics except for a left-wing anti-immigrant party got in um it's just I mean what is labor for like I mean, I suppose people can say that about the Democrats in the U.S. Like, there's a few good people in it, but for the most part, it is soul-crushing, soul-destroying anti-immigrants because that's what voters want. Because, you know, in Scotland, we cultivate this immigrant's welcome, and it's not always there in practice, but, but putting it forward in spirit is very, very important because you build this sense of immigrants welcome and this is a society we want to be 
by having that messaging over and over, just like having the messaging that's anti-immigrant seeps into the consciousness. So it didn't surprise me considering the source. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the re- rhetoric is important. Like, and I think it's something that people underestimate a lot. Um, Deborah? I just, it feeds off of, you know, what I was saying, we're teetering on the brink of fascism. In fact, I think we're over it. I mean, this, if there was ever a demonstration of how desperate someone was to come to a country, it's getting in a rubber dinghy with their wains and some, you know, a dozen other strangers and going across the busiest shipping channel in Europe. Like, why would those people then be, not your get back, get back there. So so they've got maybe no documentation, maybe they've just need to get here. Maybe, I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't, fathom how the the home secretary is doing like I just what sort of chats are they having what conversations are they having around a table like about other human beings and saying no we're not going to take these people that are that desperate we want them to come through the you know the proper channels getting an airport ticket and get on the plane what if there's no planes at their country what if- which, which, <laughs> which is almost impossible to do you know, that's been, that was one of the things, like, they passed laws years ago that severely sanctioned any airline that was yep. to bring somebody in the claim the asylum. So it's like this, like, you know, really, really disingenuous things. You know, we just want people to come the proper ways within the rules. Yes. But you've made it impossible for them to do that. That's why there's been an increase in people coming in dinghies. That was, funnily enough, that was not their first option. They probably considered, you know, getting a ferry or getting a plane but because that would be cheaper than probably what they've paid um some exactly. of and much less dangerous let's not forget the danger levels that are there because of the what was the figure of the mic did you read it the amount of migrants that have died in the channel this year sorry no i didn't hear that it it brings it back to what we were asking before, where whether this is incompetence or this is like planned evil. I think this is definitely planned evil. Like if Suella Braverman was like, how do I come across more evil than Pretty Patel? And like maybe crowdsourced it with a think tank, <laughs> you know, like that's what came to this. Hopefully it's that and not just her instinct. <laughs> well, I mean, she's pretty right wing, so it might be. But I mean, the fact that it's saying intensifying the government's um, hostile environment and intensifying from a, a position that Patel held it's terrifying like we like genuinely six months ago we were saying now nobody could be more viciously anti-immigrant than Pretty Patel and you know enter stage right with Suella Braverman hold my beer on the first, and first that was better the next then enter stage right <laughs> Sorry, did I, did I steal your thunder there? Can you use it? You can say it again. No, you just came up with better thunder that made me feel as if my thunder was Yours better. was better, yeah. <laughs> um, the stat was that I was reading that, uh, but I think it's pretty much the stat that they're trying to use to stop uh, the migrants getting here, and it's over the last 20 years, almost 300 asylum seekers, including 36 children, have tried died, tried have died trying to cross the channel to the UK. Um, but the one I was thinking of was uh, back in November last year when 27 people died in the dinghy because 
uh, of Calais because the UK wouldn't send the wouldn't approve the Coast Guards. Remember, and that was pretty potent. Mm -hmm. So you're right. This is even worse. This is so depressing. Why have you put all these things together in an agenda that is so and utterly soul destroying, Dave? Well, it's your fault for living in Britain. Yes, this is true. I mean, Labour are 33 points. I mean, the argument with Labour is that they're always like, well, when they pander to the sort of, that sort of racism and bigotry, because, yeah, but once we're in, we'll know we bad sort of thing. But they're 33 points ahead in the polls. If they can't make a pro-immigration grow argument now, then when are they ever going to be able to make it? Remember the uh, Labour immigration control mugs? Remember? Oh, from they, radical right, uh, left wing yeah. um, Ed Miliband's leadership. Yeah. But, I mean, but look, do we have any hope? Can we can we at least finish in a wee bit of hope? Because is there other ways for asylum seekers to get here? Or can we, you know, we've got a bit of hope with the Scottish government and them hoping to extend certain uh, not voting rights, but being able to stand rights. Were they talking about that recently? Am I? I don't. I, I don't know. I, I was looking at Kat, hoping she could tell me. That was on, that's only uh, for European citizens of certain countries, like Portugal. It. Yeah, it's it's only for a few countries, and uh, you know, there's only so much we can do right now. So the only upside is, you know, at least we have an independence movement. Yeah, I mean, every story seems to come back around to let's get the hell out of this union because I just, I don't understand. It, it's certainly no my government or my country that I, I, that I recognise that is making these sort of vicious monsters, you know, and encouraging it to be more vicious. That's what I don't mm -hmm. get. I mean, I can't, I, I literally can't understand the the mindset of someone who says it's a dream to get asylum seekers on a plane to Rwanda. I mean, that's, a, and, and not only is that, a, to actually then tell people about it, can she think she'll get a good response? Their audience is just. I mean, to dream that, but then to have the power to actually achieve that, that's what comes back to being terrifying. But I think you're right, it, the independence movement is a glimmer of light in a darkened room. But I really just want to burn it all down. I just want to set fire to the whole fucking thing. I, I, and, I, and the other thing is, I don't feel like Scotland's alone in this anymore. I feel like Northern Ireland, Ireland's wanting the fuck out of UK, reunify with uh, Ireland. And I think Wales is on its road to independence. And don't mess with the Welsh. Oh, fuck uh, you up. <laughs> certainly the biggest change in the last, I don't know how many years is, I mean, uh, there wasn't an independence movement in Wales to speak of not that long ago, but it's it's a real thing now. Um, yes. You know, I saw, I saw a tweet that said something about, like, you know, Wales could be the next independent nation from the UK, and I was like, oh, man, like, good <laughs> on you if you're the next one. Whatever. I'm not even going to be, I'm not going to throw shade. Like, if you manage to get independence, Wales, we're destined to be right around the corner. <laughs> we're holding on to your coattails. Yeah, but good God, I hope we're next, you know. <laughs> Northern I, Ireland, if you want to do it first, fine. I have a friend that every time that gets mentioned goes into a panic and says, no, no, 
we need to get in Scottish independence first before there's a United Ireland because he's convinced there'll be hundreds of thousands of hardcore Northern Irish Unionists who'll just try to move to Ayrshire overnight. That's possible. Possible. That's, um, I, you've lifted my spirits because that's a nice thought, isn't it? A sort of Celtic, what, what, what will they call it? The Celtic cutaway. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> oh. I, I'm trying to think of other ones. Maybe we brainstorm a wee bit on that one. I, we're all... We're all descended from Scythians, aren't we? So it could be the Scythian separatists. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. Send us your uh, suggestions. Am I descended from Scythians? I don't I know. Don't, I don't know what a Scythian is. Deborah, what's a Scythians? I don't know. It's like one of the old sort of legends that were written in <laughs> uh, the Irish annals or something. And the Picts went to Ireland, they were descended with Scythians and they got four Irish brides and then they came to Scotland and then uh, the Welsh have got Scythians in them and I don't know. I, d- I, just, I don't think I'm don't, Scythian then. You might be. I'm only are- Scottish in the new sense in that I live here and participate in society. I think that's what Scythian means, um, interlopers. Well, according to Wikipedia, the Scythians are the, like the Russian steppe, Ukraine area. Oh, I'm German and Norwegian, so <laughs> maybe Neanderthal blood is what I have. I don't know. I'm definitely got some uh, Neanderthal on me. Same none. <laughs> <laughs> Poor David. <laughs> I never say the anything. He's so trustworthy compared to those two other. <laughs> Will we just wrap it now? I think we should draft it on the we're we're just Neanderthals. I think Neanderthal. My son Oh, that's very fancy of you to say it that way. My um husband and my has the simian palms where there's only one line that goes across. And then my son has one hand that's normal and one hand that's just got the one line. Oh, he's half and half. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. I've never heard of that before. Tyler, come here. She's on your palm. <laughs> Let's see your horns. Let's see your horns. So there's mine. So yours. It Don't mind. Like... He fell off a curb. So I was yeah. going to say that he's got a stigmata. That's seems more important <laughs> no. than his Oh God, no. <laughs> no, he like. I've got a Viking pinky. Oh. But I don't I've got a really I'm... long one. I've got no Viking DNA. My nephew done a test. So That's a Viking it's to do with the tendons. It's because I broke it so many times. Apparently, ah. Vikings get them. So I'm Neanderthal and Viking. Yeah, it's going to wreck the joint. <laughs> <laughs> A zombie oh. Viking? Was <laughs> <laughs> that <a> zombie? <laughs> I'm so tired. I need to go to sleep. Well. I'm rushing to finish this because I want to go and watch episode nine of House of the Dragon, which is quickly becoming at least 30% of my personality is just talking about House of the Dragon all the time. But with two episodes left, so maybe I'll return to normality once it's out the way. But I'm See, I'm just waiting until they're all out to binge them. I would love to do that, but I would be completely incapable. I, I tried to do it like Game of Thrones and just didn't. I'm the same cat. I like to wait till the ball come out. See, with Game of Thrones, like the last three or maybe even four seasons, I was just like, will you please end? So I, it's not been anything for me to wait on this. Because I, I was really just cheering on 
destruction for all. I was like, come on, I'm getting. So this this is Kat's last appearance in Holiday Done Gag. She's outed <laughs> herself as a Game of Thrones skater. Oh no, I don't hate it. I just Well, you don't love it enough to, to what I can hear. I'm sorry, I don't love it enough. I don't. I spend too much time in TikTok to, to not watch the episodes. I would get too much too many spoilers. I've already had to stay off it today because just every second account of all is want to spit spoilers right away. Well, you can find all our podcasts at leftungag.org as well as written articles. Uh, we also have a North American-based monthly podcast, World Beat with George Collins, where he interviews scholars, activists, and writers about the state of the world. You can also catch the latest episode of the Talking Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. And if there's anything you'd like us to talk about on Holiday Run Gag, you can tweet us at underscore ungag, hashtag Holiday Run Gag, or email us ungagleft at gmail.com, putting Holiday Run Gag in the subject line. And if you enjoyed this, please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use. Also, if you would like to join our Discord community, uh, get in touch either through Twitter or Facebook, and we can get you signed up for that. Kat, Deborah, thanks again, and we'll speak to the listeners next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Nice, nice to you, smile.